2: I'm Sean Duffy. I'm Harris Faulkner. I'm Ben Dominich, and this is the Fox News Rundown.
3: Tuesday, December 19th, 2023. I'm Dave Anthony. The poll numbers keep looking worse for President Biden with another survey showing he could lose a possible 2024 Trump rematch.
0: So this is a a real kind of red alarm moment for for the Democratic Party, where they basically latch themselves to uh, an unpopular president.
1: I'm Jessica Rosenthal, It can be the most wonderful time of the year, or it can be that time of the year where we sleep at the airport. Record-breaking travel is predicted over Christmas and New Year's as airlines try to pray away storm delays.
4: The big test will be, uh, as and when storms happen, uh, how resilient is the system, how quickly can it bounce back. What I've seen so far this year is encouraging, but the proof is always in the results.
1: We speak with Transportation Secretary
5: Pete Buttigieg. And I'm Brian Kilmeade. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. As
3: 2023 winds down, President Biden's 2024 poll numbers go down with it. A survey from Monmouth, the second poll in a week, to give him his lowest voter approval ever.
1: Mr. President, why are you losing to Trump in the polls?
3: Now, it's hard to hear, but he told reporters they're the wrong polls as he left campaign headquarters in Wilmington, Delaware on Sunday night. But a new Fox News voter survey. Showing him trailing former President Trump by four points is one of many polls. He's also behind in key battleground state surveys. The former president said at a rally Sunday night in Reno, Nevada...
5: "Is not a problem they've been able to solve. Crooked Joe is a low... You know this. Did you ever hear this? Crooked Joe is a low IQ individual. Of course,
3: the former president's also taken swipes at President Biden for his age... He's 81
0: years old, of course. Look, Biden is in very, very precarious political position for... A, a sitting president. Josh Kraushaar is a Fox News Radio political analyst. You've got to go back to maybe George H.W. Bush, Jimmy Carter, even to find an incumbent president with the numbers as poor as Joe Biden's right now. Two new polls in the last few days, uh, Monmouth out this week, Pew out last week, showing Biden's approval rating only at 33 percent in the low 30s, 60 plus percent disapprove of his job performance that is, and he's losing support with his base i mean this is the alarming element of the polls it's you know once you get into the 30s it's not just you know independents and republicans it's it's a, a chunk of democrats that aren't approving of your performance
3: yeah and on uh, so top of that at- on top of that josh the wall street journal has this story that people close to former president obama say he himself is worried that president biden possibly could lose
0: wouldn't be worried if you're a Democrat. And, and 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 frankly, it's sort of sort of surprising that you're not hearing more public angst from lawmakers, from people who have some skin in the game. There, there was a good story, actually, in The Washington Post this week about lawmakers who are on the ballot. Alyssa Slotkin, the Senate candidate in Michigan, was reportedly saying to her, you know, supporters and allies that Joe Biden could take her down like a race that Democrats looked like they could win pretty easily is now looking precarious for down ballot Democrats in battleground states. Uh, So this is a a real kind of red alarm moment for for the Democratic Party, where they basically latch themselves to uh, an unpopular president. And let's not avoid the elephant in the room. Part of the. Challenge that Biden faces is about his age, his ability to actually serve in yeah. in a second term, yeah, that's a big factor. And, and and relatedly, he's just not able to drive home a positive message.
3: Yeah, he has talked about the economy, you know, and inflation's getting better, and the economy strong, all the jobs that have been created under his watch. He's trying to do that, but it doesn't seem to resonate at all. I mean, on the economy, his numbers are bad when you ask voters about his performance.
0: Yeah, I mean, some of it is the reality that people are still dealing with the consequences of, of very high inflation over the last yeah. couple of years. And so even if it's tamer, which it is, it do, it's not undoing
3: the big jump we already had.
0: Well, look, you remember the Reagan line. Are you better off now than you were four years ago? Well, mm. prices are still significantly higher for many, many daily goods. That Americans buy than they were four years ago, and that's a reality that you can't spin away. Now, look, there's good news about the inflation being tamed. There's good news about the, we're not looking like we're dealing with a recession in 2024. Unemployment is low. The stock market is is, is back on track, but. I think Biden has also struggled to communicate those top line uh, positive bits of news. So not only is he dealing with a lot of legitimate grievance and worry from a lot of middle class Americans facing challenging personal finances, but he's also not able to communicate uh, a message that's making Americans confident about the future. He's, He's unable to. And a lot of this is about his age. He's not able to be as nimble and as charismatic as he may have been at another time when he was younger to drive home the message. There are a lot of politicians that are very effective at giving a speech, getting sound clips played in the news, getting the public's attention. Biden has just not been able to drive home a positive message. effectively.
3: And, and every time he loses his place trying to get a word out or his message or he stumbles You know, trying to speak, it makes it difficult for him even more so.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's. Uh, It's painful at times. There have been a lot of leaks coming out of the White House in recent weeks, you know, even giving a speech at a holiday party that's designed to be a very easy way to kind of, uh, you know, win over the attendees, the fundraisers, the media, the media party for for Christmas. And you hear these leaks about, boy, you know, the president is looking every year of his age and he's really lost the step. And that's not going to get better anytime soon.
3: And Republicans keep hammering over the border. And the numbers continue to grow with the the record number of people crossing the border illegally from all over the world, not just like these areas of South America and Central America, like we had focused so much on Africa and everywhere else. This has been also a problem in the polls. People are not giving his handling of the border
0: a good mark. Well, and and that's for good reason. He's feeling the heat from Democratic mayors uh, who are in cities like New York and Chicago, we're seeing the migrants that are coming through from the southern border placing a strain on, on their public services, on their ability to, you know, keep, you know, provide for for, for this, this this slew of new, new arrivals. Um, so you're not just hearing it from the right, but you're starting to hear it from the blue parts of the country as well. Uh, and look, uh, part of this is about taking on your own base. Biden has sort of been deferential to the left which doesn't want uh, any Trump-era policy or any tougher border security policy. um, The activist groups that have a lot of sway with this White House have been very vocal about that.
3: There has been talk. What if President Biden does what President Lyndon Johnson did, 1968, decides, that's it, I'm not going to run for re-election, that, of course, paved the way his vice president, Hubert Humphrey, ended up the nominee. But obviously, there was the uh, Kennedy assassination that year as well. Um, Robert Kennedy was a, a formidable candidate for the nomination that year, in addition to Humphrey. Do you think that's even possible that President Biden would give up the job like that?
0: I, I, look, I don't, with these numbers, anything is possible. Uh, with Biden's age, anything is, is possible. So I I think we're going to be in for a very volatile 2024 And look, expect the unexpected. Uh, Look, if if for some reason Biden couldn't run or decided to opt out of the race at this late stage, I I think Harris would be the heir apparent. And sure numbers are just as bad as as Biden's in these same polls. What about Gavin Newsom?
3: Literally. What about him? The California governor? I mean, he's been out there.
0: Yeah, but anyone other than – I mean, look, sure, you could come up with a lot of names. I mean, if we're already in, in December, the filing deadlines in some states have already passed by. OK. Um, I mean, you you would literally be talking about a fight at the convention perhaps if, if, for, for any of these names. I mean, it wouldn't be the typical primary campaign that we see where candidates run run ads and campaign in the early states and go through the motions point of having a VP is sort of like having the backup quarterback. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you you're have a VP as the, the the next person in line. So Harris would presumably be the heavy favorite if Biden did, did step aside.
3: Now back to that Fox News poll that gives former President Trump a lead head-to-head with President Biden. It also gives him a massive lead over his Republican challengers at 69 percent. Ron DeSantis is second with just 12. He is banking on Iowa.
0: If Trump loses, he will say it's stolen no matter what. Absolutely. He, he, will, he will try to delegitimize the results.
3: Nikki Haley is 60 points back of Trump, but she believes she is surging and tells Fox's Sean Hannity.
1: You can get him on your show. That's who I want to debate. That's who we're looking at. That's who's, you know, we're second place in Iowa, second place in New Hampshire, second place in South Carolina. Donald Trump's the one we're looking in the windshield.
3: But he has skipped all the debates. The next one is in Iowa, January 10th, five days before the first GOP contest, the caucuses. New Hampshire's primary is a week later.
0: You know, I think she's done doing quite well in New Hampshire. There was a CBS News poll this weekend showing her, uh, you know, I think 15 points behind Trump and in the mid 20s, which is the highest she's ever been. If, if you look at the Chris Christie vote, the more moderate vote, uh, you add that up. She's actually within striking distance of Trump. So you you can see her doing well, in New Hampshire, you could see her winning, perhaps, her home state of South Carolina, which is the next big primary. And then maybe, you know, like, look, who knows what Trump's legal challenges are going to bring a- after March. Uh, there's a trial that, that was scheduled to be starting around that time. OK, so, so you see an avenue for her. A very small window. Uh, you know, she needs to do well in New Hampshire. She needs to you know come close to winning New Hampshire and beating Trump in New Hampshire, beating Trump in her home state. And then look, maybe this race resets. Maybe that. I mean, that's 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 her. That's her play. Right. Um. She. She's actually got some momentum. She's done well at the debates, so she's got some momentum. DeSantis, on the other hand, is struggling. His super PAC looks like it's in disarray. The the big super PAC, uh, with all the money, he he needs to do well in Iowa. He needs to come close to Trump in Iowa and use build some momentum off of that. Uh, look, he's he, he's in second place right now in the polls, but he's a much more distant second place uh, in Iowa than than Haley is in both South Carolina and New Hampshire.
3: You know, we say all these you know possibilities of un on you know taking former President Trump down in the primaries, but he has in the Fox poll eighty five percent of Republicans view him positively. That's way more than DeSantis, way more than Haley. That's even more than Democrats view President Biden favorably. That's a high number.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, look, Trump is, if if it's not clear, Trump is the heavy favorite to be the the Republican nominee. Uh, You know, we're talking about, like, Hail Mary passes for the leading challengers. I think the only question that would change things is if people start thinking about the implications of, of a trial, what would happen if Trump got convicted on some serious charges, whether that would actually move the numbers at all. But yeah. I, uh, there's a good reason to be skeptical about that, because we've had a lot of news events unfavorable to Trump legally that have actually helped his political standing among Republicans.
3: Yeah, I mean, he's gone to court in New York, and he speaks out, and, and it's it's not hit him negatively.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the only way you see a movement is among Republicans is if if— you know, there was a question about the logistics. Could he actually be eligible? You know, could could he run for president from you know jail or house arrest? Or you know, if he is convicted, there could be a question of do you want to support a nominee that may uh you know not be able to serve effectively? <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, and again, he he has a lot of Republicans on his side that he's being politically targeted. And if he loses one of these cases, they'll. I mean, he can say, "Look, they see how the much they're trying to get rid of me."
0: Yeah, uh, well, he, that that's worked so far. So I I think that's the safer bet that Trump is able to get, is able to is going to campaign, frankly, against the deep state, the the feds, and the Biden administration is out to get him. And that message has won over uh, a lot of supporters uh, in in recent months. Josh
3: Kraushar is Fox News Radio's political analyst. Great to talk to you. Thanks very much for being back with us.
0: Thanks you too.
2: From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
5: This is Brian Kilmeade with your Fox News commentary coming up.
1: AAA says more than 115 million Americans are traveling over this holiday travel period, 104 million of those by car. The total number of domestic travelers is a slight increase over last year, but it's a little more than a 3% decrease from 2019. However, 7.5 million of us are expected to fly and that would surpass the record set in 2019.
0: Those who are using air and are using the other category, that's a train, a bus, or a cruise, those are records.
1: That's the highest since we started keeping track of these things back in 2000. So uh, it's going to be very busy. AAA spokesman for the Northeast region, Robert Sinclair, talked to Fox Weather. United Airlines and Delta both say they expect closer to nine million travelers, but that's over a longer Christmas travel period than assessed by AAA. And while everyone watches the weather, others are watching their own systems, especially after last year's holiday disaster, courtesy of Southwest, whose CEO Bob Jordan said last December in a video statement that the thousands of canceled flights were due to a combination of factors, including that Southwest does not rely on staffing in hub cities, frigid temperatures, and technology in need of an upgrade.
4: We always take care of our customers, and we will lean in and go above and beyond as they would expect us to. Teams are working on all of that, processing refunds, proactively reaching out, and taking care of customers who are dealing with costly detours and reroutes is just a few examples.
1: But they may not have done enough. In fact, the Department of Transportation announced a $140 million fine against Southwest this week over last year's mess.
4: Well, there's really two reasons. First is to make sure that Southwest is accountable for the failures a year ago that left hundreds of thousands of passengers stranded.
1: Pete Buttigieg is the Secretary of Transportation.
4: The second thing is to send a message to industry that you need to take care of your passengers, or else we will hold you accountable. The truth is, I think the fines and penalties that were assessed in the past years and decades did not fully change airline behavior, and so we knew that we needed to uh, make them tougher. This is a multiple- of any penalty or enforcement action from the past. And I think it needs to be, both because of the severity of the violations and uh, to change how the industry treats its passengers. We got $35 million in a cash fine. But the other thing that's exciting to me is that out of that $140 million, the majority of it is not in dollars going to the Treasury. The majority of it is going to passengers. As part of this penalty agreement, uh, Southwest will provide passengers with credits for future situations where there are delays. And I think that could change the entire industry.
1: You know, since Southwest meltdown there are new DOT rules for airlines, right? We've talked about them. They have to compensate travelers for like hotels and ground transportation, and other things, if that cancellation or delay is caused by the airline, not the weather. What what's the oversight though to make sure airlines comply with that? Like is the burden on us, the passengers, to like complain sufficiently in order to get anyone's attention before anything's done?
4: Well, we do have a a way for passengers to get our attention, complain to us, and we'll follow up, but you shouldn't have to. Part of what we're trying to do is make sure that airlines take care of passengers without us getting involved and without a passenger having to push that much. We're even developing rules right now that look at uh, how easily uh, accessible a a refund is, for example. Does that come right to you or do you have to push and push to get it? Now, we're, we're, we're not looking to be unfair to the airlines. We get that airlines don't control the weather but they do control how quickly they can respond to the weather. And again, this Southwest case is a good example of that. You know, Christmas last year, uh, every airline got clobbered by this epic winter storm, but most of the airlines got back on their feet within a couple of days. Southwest did not because of reasons that they are responsible for, which is part of why they're responsible for these penalties as well.
1: Yeah, you said... um that this they have to set up a fund to compensate future travelers what is that the expectation or is there more than that like for if you're sending a message to airlines like make sure you are technologically ready for a busy week spend money on that modernization
4: yeah, look, we're not going to get in there and tell them which IT system to acquire, but we are going to tell them that you have to have better results. Part of what led to this fine was that the system melted down so completely that uh, you know customers were unable to get anybody on the phone when they got stranded. Right. Uh, customers weren't even getting notification that your flight got canceled. Even if it happened before they left home to go to the airport, obviously it would have saved you a lot of trouble uh, if you knew your flight was canceled and found that out at home instead of uh, instead of somewhere in an airport concourse where you then couldn't get anybody on the phone. These are things that airlines have to take care of. Exactly how they do it is their business. Making sure they do it is our business.
1: You know, when we talked um, before Thanksgiving, you and, and, and you'd said this at the at the presser too, you were warning of funding cuts pushed by Republicans, possibly harming the Department of Transportation. I wanted to follow up with you on that. You, you said this could impact hiring and even modernizing the FAA. And I, I want to ask you, because we are $34 trillion in debt, are you all expecting like an increase in funding? Um, like when you complain about funding cuts, I mean, the reality is, you know, we are in a lot of debt. So are are you actually expecting more money to come your way?
4: Yeah, we're requesting increased funding to hire more air traffic controllers because we don't have enough air traffic controllers. Uh, now, there are a lot of different ways Congress can put together the, uh, the the funds to do that. Our point is that the world's wealthiest economy should not have a shortage of air traffic controllers because of a lack of funding.
1: Well, well, but given our debt and given the things you say you need and we need, Have you examined where in the DOT's budget you can cut to pay for things? I mean, especially with all the infrastructure money that's coming in. When I look at that infrastructure map, it seems like a lot of money is going to the DOT. I know that's different pots, but but is there no adjustment you all could make on your end to tighten the belt in one area to help pay for others?
4: If you look at the condition of our roads and bridges, uh, I think cutting funding for roads and bridges is a bad idea. Uh, and we certainly know that our uh, air traffic control system needs uh, more controllers, which costs money. Again, the wealthiest country in the world should be able to have better infrastructure than we do. I think that's why Republicans, some Republicans, worked with Democrats and worked with President Biden and me and others to get this big infrastructure
5: package through. Yeah, I but, when you, you need, but when you say you need, but when you say you need
1: more air traffic controllers, when you say you need other things, right? The the infrastructure money, I get it. That's that's a different pot, right? And that's been allocated, obviously, through the infrastructure. Uh, law, which you just referenced, but when you say you need money for other things, we need money for other things. We want more air traffic controllers. Have you, as the secretary, gone through the the DOT's budget to see where you guys can make cuts and adjust?
4: Yeah, look, I'm always interested in any way that, that we can find savings by running our systems more efficiently. Uh, for example, we get the right kind of IT systems, we can be more productive. Uh, we're even taking a look at office space. You know, uh, re- Remote work and some of what we've learned over the last few years uh, could mean that, that we can find savings there. We're always gonna look for savings where we can find them. Uh, but right now, I, I think uh, on these core matters, like the technology that keeps us safe in the air, the air traffic controllers who operate our airspace, or the conditions of our roads and bridges, there's a reason why the vast majority of Americans strongly believe that we need to be providing more funding and not less funding.
1: Are you guys reacting in any way right now to major shipping companies that are saying that they are, will no longer traverse in the Red Sea? I know you guys are you know, obviously involved in our supply chain, and I know in October you recently talked about opening a new freight office and developing the freight logistics optimization works. We heard the president talk about that earlier on in the pandemic flow, um, keeping track of ocean shipping and cargo. Given all that, given what's under your, I guess, jurisdiction to keep track of and pay attention to, what is your concern at this point, if any, on what the Houthi rebels are doing, lobbing missiles at commercial ships, and whether or not that's going to impact global commerce in our supply chains?
4: Yeah, we, we certainly have concerns here. Uh, obviously, the, the military side is, is not so much yeah. uh, our lane, but we do follow the supply chain flows and just the general safety picture. And so through our maritime administration, which is part of this department, uh, make sure that there are advisories getting good information uh, to uh, any U.S. persons or firms that uh, that are involved in shipping there. Now, we've also seen that uh, our, our supply chains have adapted to shocks in recent years. Uh, look at the ways that uh, shipping companies have adjusted their mix of East Coast and West Coast, for example, uh, even for Asia traffic, depending on conditions around the Panama Canal, uh, labor expectations on the West Coast and uh, other things that can fluctuate. So uh, look, it's a very interconnected economy. Anytime there's a disruption that can affect us all around the world. Uh, there are also ways that that companies as well as governments can adjust, and we're we're watching closely to see how those adjustments unfold.
1: I know that's far away, but it, right, like you just said, everything sort of ripples. Okay, one more for yeah. you, because since we last spoke, NTSB Chair Jennifer Homendy held a press conference, saying that um, when a pilot, you know, wants to seek mental health help, it shouldn't result in them, you know, losing their job or having their job be impacted. But as you know there was an instance of that pilot earlier this year who nearly crashed the passenger plane he said he was struggling with depression and he blamed the incident on like his mental health issues um he he said though he didn't want to seek help i guess his attorney said it he didn't want to seek help because if you're diagnosed with depression or anxiety this affects your ability to fly we are as you noted in a situation where we sort of desperately need pilots right now what is the balance here are you guys curious about that and looking into that
4: Yeah this is something that our new FAA leadership administrator uh, Michael Whitaker is very actively addressing right now because we do need to make sure that we have a system that uh, is always prioritizing safety and does it in a way that doesn't discourage people from being transparent about routine mental health issues uh, no pilot today will be certified or permitted to fly if the FAA knows uh, any reason why they would not be safe to fly. Uh, but also, uh, that doesn't mean that any and all uh, concern that, that somebody might have or might seek treatment for uh, is something that could prevent them from, from being safe. These are exactly the kinds of uh, nuances and complexities that, that we need to really look at as we look toward a more modern strategy. Uh, That, again, always has that that baseline of of safety in mind and does it in a way that that doesn't uh, discourage people from being transparent about any medical concerns and from seeking uh, help and treatment that that could make a positive difference, both to their well-being as a person and to their safety as a pilot.
1: Is it going to be the busiest travel season ever? right, that we're going into right now? is it, Are you guys ready for, like, is that true? The numbers are, are predicted to be, like, we're going to have the, like, record-breaking numbers?
4: Probably. That's what we're gearing up for. I mean, if you look at Thanksgiving, <laughs> the Sunday after Thanksgiving, there's 2.9 million passengers. That is an all-time record. That's the most people getting on planes in America in history. And by the way, you know, very pleased to see that, that we were able to have a cancellation rate of less than a half of 1%. So as we go into the Christmas holiday, I think we'll continue to see a lot of air travel. And uh, also, the the closer you get to Christmas and New Year's, the more often you get weather issues that can really throw Mm -hmm. the system. So the big test will be, uh, as and when storms happen, uh, how resilient is the system? How quickly can it bounce back? What I've seen so far this year is encouraging, but the proof is always in the results.
1: Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, thanks for joining. Thank you.
5: I'm Dana Perino. This week on Perino on Politics, while early voting states will play a key role in determining which candidate will receive their party's nomination, swing states are critical for determining who will win the election. This week, I'm joined by Philadelphia-based radio host and former GOP strategist Rich Zioli for a look at what issues matter most to voters there. Available now on Apple, Spotify, and FoxNewsPodcast.com.
2: Subscribe to this podcast at FoxNewsPodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary.
3: Brian Kilmeade. What's on your mind?
5: Crime. You know it's an issue in everybody's lives. But when it affects your sports team, it gets into your social life, your recreational life. It all goes back to the serious stuff and crime and no punishment. Where does it show up? Out in California, where you can't be more liberal. How about San Francisco? San Francisco is a great franchise. I'm talking about the San Francisco Giants. They win, they build players. You go there, you'll reach your maximum potential when it comes to talent. And you always have the chance, the chance to compete for a division title and possibly a World Series. They've done it before. But if you even talk to people on their board, like former great Buster Posey, they cannot attract free agents because of the crime in the streets, the destruction of that once great city the lack of any commercial traffic the inability to go downtown and feel comfortable you're not going to be carjacked or be assaulted by somebody homeless person some vagrant who might be deranged it's already cost you players Otani said it flat out. I thought about the Giants, but never truly considered going to the Giants. I went from the Anaheim Angels to the Los Angeles Dodgers because of crime, which, by the way, isn't much better there, but it is significantly better lifestyle. Now, think about the Oakland Athletics. They're leaving for Las Vegas. Why? Nobody goes to the games. It's a dangerous area. The city is so broke, they can't even become a, have a good partnership, and they don't seem to have a passion for the team anymore. Hence, when you're talk about the Oakland Raiders excuse me the Vegas Raiders for just the same reason now we're seeing it again when it comes to what's happening in Washington DC last week a press conference many people might not have noticed who don't live in the nation's capital but Glenn Youngkin has two teams going to Northern Virginia the Wizards and the Capitals why crime what was the answer from the mayor it's just a blip well that blip cost you two franchises I'm Brian Kilmead for the Fox News Rundown
2: You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnews.podcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Yeah.